Please be seated if you would. Good morning, everybody, and uh, welcome to Leeward Campus and Christ Community. I'm Tom Nelson. Uh, it's a delight to have you here on this beautiful day, and you probably picked up that as a church family. If you're visiting this morning, we're having sort of a family conversation together um, in this short series, this message series. So we hope, again, if you're visiting from out of town, wherever you would enjoy being here and feel welcome here and kind of welcome to our family conversation. I hope you, it encourages you wherever you are. So as I mentioned this morning, we're continuing this three-week series. And uh, across the series, we're asking this question, why church? Why church? Last week, we heard that our response to that very important question is the church has the best story, that there is really hope here. The church, as we said last week, uniquely speaks to our greatest problem, our deepest longing, our highest aspirations. So today on the backside of this first message, we want to highlight the answer to the question, why church? And that is because the scripture tells us the church is the best family and that you belong here. So last week, the best story, there's hope here. This week, the best family, you belong here. Now, isn't it true that few things in life are more painful than being excluded? Kids and Big kids, you remember back when you were on the playground and maybe you were the first one picked for the sports, maybe you were the last, maybe you were excluded. I remember what that was like for me not being the first one chosen. See, we all want to be included. Students, I remember going to a brand new school as a teenager and walking in that school, feeling out of place and finding myself sitting in the lunchroom table by myself. Some of us have had that experience. We want to be included. Maybe your work colleagues have excluded you from going out to lunch or playing a game of golf. There's something deep within us that longs to fit in. We long to belong. All human beings long to belong. We want to feel an integral part. We want to connect with others. We want to be part of community. It is woven into the depths of our DNA. It's not surprising that in this text this morning, the Apostle Paul points us to where that deep sense of belonging, true belonging, can be found. And the good news of the Christian story is that it not only offers new life, but we must grasp that it offers a brand new family where we truly, truly belong. If you brought a Bible, I'd like you to turn with me to the New Testament book of Ephesians, chapter 2, Ephesians chapter 2. Now, in this text, we are given three reasons why the church is the best family, and these are the three, and this is the flow of the text. First, it's where we belong. Secondly, it is where we flourish, and third, it is where we are family, where we belong, where we flourish, and where we are family. So first, the church, Paul says, is the place where we truly belong. Now, as we walk back in time, put on our sandals, enter the first century, walk on the dusty trails of Turkey in modern or ancient Ephesus, we encounter a group of believers there who lived in a very polarized world. It was an us versus them world in the first century. Paul is writing from a Jewish perspective, and from the Jewish perspective, the world was divided into two distinct people. There were the Jews, the us who belonged, and there were the Gentiles, all the nations, the rest of them, those who didn't belong. So you can imagine living in this cultural context, 
this deeply ingrained us versus them mindset inevitably meant suspicion, alienation, and hostility toward one another. But what is remarkable in human history and in the first century is when the gospel came to Ephesus, something remarkably changed in all of that. Yes, individual hearts and minds were changed. Relationships within families were reconciled. But we must not miss that a brand new social order emerged in the, in the Roman Empire. A new community was birthed. One where, unbelievably, in its history, Jews and Gentiles truly loved one another and belonged. Look at verses 13 and 14. Notice the contrast. But now... In Christ Jesus, Paul writes, you or the Gentiles, he means, the nations, who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For Jesus, he himself, is our peace who has made us both one, that is Jew and Gentile, and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. Now, if you were to put, your, put yourself in a first century listener who did not have a Jewish heritage, this is stunning good news. If you look at verses 11 and 12, you see what Paul is doing in painting this brilliant contrast. In verses 11 and 12, he describes their past plight, and it is bleak. You notice the language. They are without God and hopeless in the world. Once they didn't belong, and Paul says, because of the gospel, now they belong. And here's his point. The gospel not only creates new hearts and minds, it also creates a brand new community. In other words, we often miss the fullness of the gospel, that the gospel is good news not only for becoming a new person, but also belonging to a new family. They are both intrinsic to the gospel message. So in the person and work of Christ, notice believers from all backgrounds, Jewish and non-Jewish, now are one. In other words, what Paul is saying is at the foot of the cross of Christ, both Jewish believers and non-Jewish believers shed any kind of prideful exclusion and have a joyful embrace. What Paul is saying that so radically changed the Roman world and turned it upside down is it is not a world of us versus them. In Christ, there is just us. The radical nature of this must not be missed in its cultural context. Perhaps one of the most brilliant writers of the 20th century was German pastor Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who was martyred by the Nazis. He speaks with clarity about what Paul is saying here. He says, Christian community means community through and in Jesus Christ. On this presupposition rest everything that Scripture provides in the way of directions and precepts, notice, for the communal life of Christians. Notice, for the communal life of Christians. What Bonhoeffer is saying and what Paul is saying, again, we must not miss that the gospel not only creates new people, the gospel also creates a new community that dwells a new place. This is very important to grasp because the church is not just a people, it's also a place. It's not a Gentile temple. It's not a Jewish synagogue. It is, in the Greek word, it is the ekklesia. It is the called out ones gathered in time and place. We get the word church from the Greek word ekklesia. 
And at the very heart of this word is a diverse design at its very core definition. The very design of the church community is one of remarkable diversity. It doesn't matter our ethnicity, our economic status, our education, our age, our gender, or background. The church is the place where each one of us is welcome in Christ, where we can truly belong, where we can all be family. First, the church is the place where our deepest longings to belonging are met in the world, no matter what our existing current family is or is not. Notice the second truth. The church is a place not only where we belong, it's a place where we flourish. In other words, the gospel was given so we could flourish as human beings in all dimensions of reality. It is not just a spiritual compartmentalization. It is a way we were designed to live and flourish as human beings. Notice the word four times repeated by Paul. It's the center of this text. It is peace. Now, when we hear the word peace, as Jesus is our peace, most of us in English think of a cessation of hostility, that is, between friends or a nation. But the idea of peace biblically is this brilliant word, a comprehensive word, that is much, much more than the cessation of conflict. Peace, as the Bible describes it, from creation to end, is a picture, a snapshot of God's brilliant design for human flourishing. All aspects of human wellness and wholeness. It is our physical well-being. It is our emotional well-being. It is our spiritual well-being, our relational well-being, and yes, our societal well-being. In other words, peace describes the life you and I deeply long to live. It's the life that the gospel makes possible to live, but it is not just the power of the gospel. Notice in the text, it is in the power of the Holy Spirit and in the nourishing community called the church. This is the brilliant trinity of transformation of how we flourish as human beings. The transforming power of the gospel, the power of the Holy Spirit to live this new life in the context of a nourishing community called the church. So Paul will build off this theme of peace. That's the center of this text. And he will highlight reconciliation. You'll notice that in verse 16. And this is important for us because sometimes we have a compartmentalized idea of the gospel. Intrinsic to the gospel is not only vertical reconciliation with God, it is horizontal reconciliation with others. This must not be missed. And one of the compelling reasons the church is the place in our culture, in the world, where we can all flourish, is because it is a place of true reconciliation. Not only reconciling our relationship with God, that sin is severed, but connecting and reconnecting with our relationship with brothers and sisters who our sin has created a wall of hostility. The church is a place where we honestly, honestly, recognize and repent both of our individual sin and our collective past sins as well as honestly address present sins in the world and injustices and hurts. See, the church is a unique place where we seek reconciliation with others and we love others different than us. By its very nature, the church's mission is for all people and it brings all people together who come to Jesus in repentance and faith. These are people 
who we would normally, sociologically, come to gather in a meaningful way in any other context. That's the glory of the church. And what it means for all of us is God's design will often make us uncomfortable. Think for a moment, who would make you uncomfortable if in embracing Jesus, they come to this church and join it? Right? The church is not an affinity group of likeness. That's not its design. Or those people who we necessarily like or look like or think like or vote like or whatever, right? But rather it is fellow image bearers of God who are broken, desperate sinners like me who are in need of God's grace and who are called to love God and love his world and love one another. Now, I'm not suggesting that the local church, you know, is some kind of utopian perfection, (laughs) I will grant you the local church often fails to live up to its ideals and design and purpose. Clearly, there are no perfect churches. And as my professor, one thing I remember from seminary many, many years ago said, if you find the perfect church, don't join it. You'll ruin it. That's true. That's true. Brilliant truth. And yes, friends, there are churches that lose their way, tragically. There are churches, and they are rampant today, that embrace false doctrine. Churches that turn inward rather than missional. Churches that are cold and unloving. Churches that have conflicts and divisions. Churches that embrace racial divisions and socioeconomic divisions rather than heal them. And churches where people fight over the most trivial things. But just because there are challenges that stand in the way of the local church being the church, being a place of hope where anyone can become family. We must not give up on her. Jesus said he would build this church and the gates of hell itself will not prevail against it. The church as God designed it is the hope of the world. There is no plan B that I can find. Nothing can replace it or surpass it. It is God's plan for hope for the world. And maintaining and nourishing a healthy church family is something we all work at. In some ways, when you think about it, isn't it true that the church finds it difficult to experience unity and reconciliation? That's really a sign that we're on probably the right path. Why? Because of the pervasiveness of collective and individual sin in our culture and our world. The church, by its design, is a welcome mat for everyone who will come to Jesus. And we should expect our life together in Christ, if that's the case, to be difficult, challenging, even painful at times. Because if there's no pain in being a church for all people, then we aren't being the church as Jesus designed it. This is the hopeful realism we embrace in an already not yet world and an imperfect church as we are. If there's no struggle to be a church where anyone can become family, then it means that we are not being a church that is fully centered and submitted to the gospel. And notice the text. Specifically, this text gives us a Trinitarian imprint over it. Do you see that? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are woven into this text. Why? Because the church is to represent to the world what God is like in his Trinitarian reality. 
Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Three, yet one in this mystery of living in unity, diversity, and community together. That is what the local church is to represent to the world. That the triune God, creator, redeemer, and savior is alive and well and the basis of all reality. The church is the witness to the triune God in its loving unity, diversity, and community. However we fail, it's that is the design. That's why we can say the church is the best family. There's belonging here. There's flourishing here. And there is family here. Notice where this text goes. Paul pulls out all the metaphorical stops to describe what the church is. And it's all linked to a family. Look at me at verse 19. Paul writes, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Notice the logical progression. With this little important phrase, Paul, phrase, so then, translate, so then, Paul now turns the corner in his persuasive attempts and he heads to the home stretch of his big idea conclusion. So he's building to this literary crescendo and logic. Paul is saying this, the church is where we belong. It is where we flourish. If that's true, then we need to embrace the church as our family, our home. Do you notice that he uses this little phrase, the household of God, do you see that? This phrase is also used by the Apostle Paul in writing to Pastor Timothy at the same church later in Ephesus in 1 Timothy 3, 14 and 15. Let me highlight just a little bit of it. Paul says, I'm writing these things, Timothy, Pastor Timothy. And notice he says, so you may know how to behave or conduct yourself. Notice the phrase. It is the exact same phrase in the household of God. And then he defines what the household of God is. This is a rich Old Testament term. But here Paul says, no, the household of God is what? It is the church, and his context is the local church. It is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress what? Of truth. So when we think about the local church, wherever our background is, maybe we're newer to the church, we have a bad experience of the church, what comes to our mind about the church? That matters. And often in our cultural context, what comes to our mind are things like this. The church is, we don't say it, but we think this. The church is kind of like a movie theater. It's a place I go to hopefully be entertained once a week to sort of forget about life. Or we may think of the local church as a gas station, don't we? We've had a hard week. We want to pull into the church, get a little hope for the rest of the week. Or we may think of it as a drugstore. We have a lot of pain in our life. And somehow we hope that somehow we can soothe that pain by being a part of the church on Sunday. I think one of the most common ways we think of the church today, in America particularly, is a big box store. Right? We can bring our family and we can get all the goodies wrapped simply on the lower shelf with good parking and convenience. Right? It's not that it's bad. These are ideas that have some truth in them, but they're not the main way we see the church. How does Paul imagine the local church? What is his primary metaphor? It's not a theater. It's not a gas station. It's not a, a drugstore. It's not a big box store. It is a family. It is a family. The local church is not merely a place we attend, but a family we are a part of. That's what Paul is saying. And as the household of God, the local church is a group of people in a common place and space who are family in Jesus. And since the beginning of Christ's community, we have had a mission statement that is anchored in this foundational truth, why the church is the hope of the world. We desire to be a caring family of multiplying disciples. 
influencing our community and world for Jesus Christ. Do you see why we anchored it in family first? Because that's the biblical theology of the text. See, unlike many things in sports teams or theater productions, you don't try out to be part of a family. You don't earn your way in. You don't prove your way in. You don't buy your way in. You are born into it. Not physically, because your family, but spiritually. Right? When we embrace the gospel, the scripture says we are born spiritual. We are born again. We are given new life with God. And when we are born with new life with God, we are also born into a new family. That's the core. Do not separate those two. The local church is the best family, for in it we truly belong. We were called and created in Christ to belong to Jesus and to his family. Not only now, but for eternity. Notice from the in verses 21 and 22. Do you see this? Paul paints this picture of dynamic spiritual growth. The environment for human flourishing of the local church. Notice spiritual maturity, the joining together, the growth together. Do you see those rich verbs? This is a picture of human flourishing. The local church is a holy temple, he says, where the Holy Spirit is uniquely manifest in the world. In other words, there's a unique supernatural empowerment for us to live as God designed us to live in the church. It's not because the church is so great or special or we're so special. It's because the Holy Spirit's unleashed in the church. Do you realize that Paul says in Ephesians this truth? This is stunning. He says the entire universe, the angels, all look to the church to be the wisdom of God. That's how they learn the wisdom of God. Wow. The local church matters. It matters. It is empowered by the Spirit. And we will not fully flourish unless we're a vital part. And yet, isn't it a common misconception in our day? I think it's perilous. That someone can be a vibrant, growing Christian and not be a vibrant, biblical, gospel-centered, church-home person. See, when we think about a flourishing person or a community, one thing we don't imagine, all of us, I would suggest if I asked each one of you, we don't imagine a homeless person. When I see a homeless person on the street or on the corner, my heart goes out to that person. Why? Because we know human flourishing and homelessness are never connected. Yet somehow we have this perilous, deceptive idea in our culture today among Christians that we can sort of be a good Christian and not a part of a local church. That's the peril of a homeless faith. I find things very perilous with that idea. To say we live as if we are a Christian but not part of a local church, is a perilous distortion. And it's deeply impoverishing for every person who buys into that deception. One of the finest thinkers in this regard is the late theologian and pastor, Anglican pastor, John Stott in England. And I love how John Stott describes an unchurched Christian. You hear that? He describes it as the most grotesque anomaly. And here's what he writes in a brilliant book called The Living Church. John Stott says, we are not only Christian people, we are also church people. For the church lies at the very center of the eternal purpose of God. It is not a divine afterthought. It is not an accident of history. On the contrary, the church is God's new community. For his purpose conceived in past eternity... Notice that. 
being worked out in history and to be perfected in future eternity is not just to save isolated individuals and so perpetuate our loneliness, but rather to build his church, that is, to call out of the world a people for his own glory. The local church family is not only essential for the flourishing of a Christian, but it is essential for the flourishing of a culture and a city and a nation. Don't you find it amazing that a Harvard economist, Raj Chetty, looks at our very dark cultural moment and he looks to the revitalization of schools and what? He highlights the vital importance of the local church to a culture. I have no idea what his worldview is, but he sees more than many of us who are Christians. The local church is a gift to us, to each other, to our city, and to the world, and to our culture. There's nothing like it. The ultimate value add to a world, a place of leadership development, the womb of genius and joy and love and reconciliation, it is what we long to be a part of. The book of Proverbs tells us that when God's covenant people prosper, an entire city rejoices. So why church, friends? Why church? Because the church as God designed it is the hope of the world. The church has the best story, and that's why there is hope here, unlike any place else in our world. The church is the best family. And the word of God says, you belong here. You belong here. You will flourish here. You are family here. You are welcome here. The welcome mat's open. So let me just talk for a moment in reflection about Christ's community. You may be newer to Christ's community, been around here a long time, maybe visiting this morning, maybe checking out a church home. But let me just challenge all of us that Jesus not only invites you to himself, in intimacy, he invites you to intimacy with brothers and sisters in Christ, many who are different than you and me. So let me ask you three questions. Wherever you are on your spiritual journey, however you see the church this morning, let me ask three questions for your reflection. First, will you come home? Will you come home? I am so grateful you're here this morning. And whether you've been here a long time again or you're newer, maybe you still aren't fully home here yet. Will with you mind, your mind and heart and hands, will you prayerfully consider becoming part of this local church family? You may have questions and you may need some really important answers about Christ's community. That's great. We'd love to hear your questions, provide honest and transparent answers the best we can. See, attending church is a really good thing. So if you're just attending church, yes, thank you. But there's something more your heart longs for. And that's coming home to a local church and making it your home. Secondly, will you love our family? Will you love our family? It's not incidental that in chapter 5 of Ephesians, Paul will describe the local church as the bride of Jesus. The metaphor of the church as a bride gets right to the heart of our affections. See, there are many secrets we don't understand or what we don't understand about Scripture and Jesus. There's much more for us to all learn, but there's one thing we know with great confidence. We know what Jesus loves most. And Jesus loves his bride, the church, most. 
And when we increasingly love Jesus, we love what he loves. That's inevitable. The more we love Jesus, the more we love his church. Warts and all. Warts and all. So will you love this church, this body? There are many good churches. But if God has called you here, invite her, will you love her as Jesus loves her? Will you pray for her regularly, passionately? Will you serve her willingly? Will you generously support Christ's community financially and all other dimensions? And will you embrace Christ's community in its full expression of family across our campuses? We are one church. We are one big family. And one exciting one. Lastly, will you welcome others? See, we are not only ambassadors for Jesus Christ. We are ambassadors of what Jesus loves, his church. It's not just telling other people about Jesus. That's first and foremost, no question. But it's also telling others about belonging to a local church family that loves Jesus. Why don't we talk about that more? Our congregational meeting at Cookout at the Olathe campus last Sunday evening was unbelievably beautiful, if you were there. God is blessing our church family and protecting her in amazing ways. Stunning ways from 28 years ago. Across our campuses, more and more yoked apprentices of Jesus are joining our increasingly diverse family. And this fall, we are on the threshold of a whole new chapter in Christ Community's history. What an exciting time to be a part, whether you've been here two weeks or 20 years. You've heard about the Reach KC initiative, which is at the heart of welcoming others. That's what it is. Let me just say, Reach KC is primarily not about running out of room for those we know. It is about making room for those who are not yet here. It is about putting the welcome mat out in front of our campuses to other people who need Christ and need new life and new family and new belonging. So why church? The church has the best story. I don't know about you when I look at the world and we live in, I don't see a lot of hope, but the local church is the hope of the world. There's hope here. And the church is the best family because you can belong here. I want you to hear the heart of Carissa and Wesley Forte, newer members of Christ's community in our Brookside campus. Watch. What led to us coming to Christ's community? So we were looking for a church that was well-rounded, something that fit the entire family. After one service, our daughter came running upstairs and said, we have to join this church. This is the church that we need to join. Let me tell you what I learned today. I just remember it like I just walked through the doors that day we visited. And he just said, what's your name? Let's go to lunch. <laughs> what stuck with Wesley was the fact that he was able to build relationships with men that didn't look like him. Yeah, we went to this Italian restaurant and he just opened up about race and about where we was as a church, what the church has been praying for and just praying for more diversity and seeing how our families is an answer from God, just coming to that church. And just for the fact that we just had a very comfortable conversation about race just from the start. 
that was the start of our relationships, just this being tremendously great. I have built some really great relationships with some really awesome women. And the cool thing is, it's not just even at the Brookside campus. I have friends that go to the Leewood campus and the Olathe campus and the downtown campus. And they're all different races, Chinese, black, white, Samoan. It doesn't, it doesn't matter, we're all friends and we are all working together to encourage one another and just to help each other learn how to operate in these things as daughters of the king. So my relationship went from visiting to these are my brothers that I'll share personal things with, and I love them to death. One thing that I really admire in terms of unity at, in the church and being that starting place is that Pastor Bill Gorman is not afraid to address it. He stands up there in front of a predominantly white congregation congregation and fearlessly gives biblical truth. I respect him a lot for that because a lot of churches, whether it's black or white, aren't touching it. And he does it in a way that resonates with people, with the injustices that have happened. I had more women come up to me and just cry and say, Carissa, I am so ignorant to these things. I truly just don't know because I don't have to live in that experience, and I'm sorry for that. And I never feel like you have to apologize to a person of color just because you're white, you know? But I think that it's awesome that it's resonating with people, and it's making, it's making them ask questions and want the veil to be lifted. So not long ago, me and um, a couple of the brothers from Church John and Anthony, with another couple, we went to Legacy in Chicago, which is a hip hop conference, but it's also just a discipleship conference. And just going to that conference and us being able to, to bond together, get to know each other, and just us showing that authentic love for one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. We sat, we, we prayed, we talked about, about race issues, and from that trip, just coming back from Legacy, that's been a life-changing experience. And that picture is like the it's like the perfect picture to show what unity looks like in the church. Black and white brothers and sisters, this hugged up, linked up, and showing everybody that we love each other authentically.